0: Friends, with the uh, last few weeks, we have had Father's Day. We've had a a church wedding that many people, including us, were away to. We had a wonderful time with the Bransons out at family camp. Uh, But if you recall and cast your mind back to three weeks ago, we were in a brief three-part series about the, the testing of our faith. Not just through temptation, but all trials, tribulations, the hard parts of life. God has promised that if we trust Him in those times, it cannot only not damage our faith, but it can actually strengthen our faith. And we were looking at how we have unique struggles in the different seasons of life. We talked about uh, the trials, the tests that we face in our senior years. We looked at those things that are incredible that we never faced as young people that the young people of today are facing. And today we're going to look at the people during midlife. Now, we're not going to be talking about midlife crises, you know, when that 50-year-old guy uh, gets a sports car or whatever he does or goes off the rails. We're talking about midlife as real midlife. People told me once, oh, it's your midlife crisis. And I did the math. I said, I'm not going to live to be 107. You know, this isn't midlife. I'm talking about prime time in life where, you know, you're really family builders, home builders, career builders. You know, we're talking generally more or less between about 30-ish to about 50-ish, the area of life that those are people at the heart and the center of what's going on in society, business, home, all of those areas. So that's about what we'll be talking about. The theme verse for these, this series, though, has come from James, where we have the wonderful promise that God can use the hard things in life and grow us and strengthen us. That incredible statement that James makes in James chapter chapter 1, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. The goal of God for your life is maturity, completeness, wholeness, and we know that's basically Christ-likeness, to become more like Jesus day by day, to mature. Well, James says that without testing, without strengthening our faith, this won't happen. So I took a picture in my basement of my workout. No, that's not my basement. (laughs) It would be a recliner and a television if it was my basement. But, uh, you know, that's just to remind us of the exercise, the exercise of faith. We need to exercise faith. And I often ask myself, does it take faith to live the life I'm living? Or can I do it in my own strength and my own power and my own wisdom and my own resources? You need to examine your life that way. Does it take God to live your life? We need that. We need to examine and live lives that trust and depend on God more by faith day by day. What have I called today? called today midlife minefields. I love that picture. That little mouse does not know which way to turn. I don't know how they got him to wear a helmet. Don't ask me. I found the picture on the internet, but I liked it. Because sometimes that's how we feel, isn't it? That all around us, our problems, our troubles, we're hemmed in on all sides. And there's nobody that feels that anxiety, that undercurrent of anxiety that people who are prime time in their lives, the prime of lives. You are the meat in life sandwich. You are between the emerging generation. You're raising kids and families. You're often caring for uh, aging parents or grandparents. You're right in the middle. And on top of all of that, you're trying to support everybody by your work. You're going hard at it every day. Now, Scripture tells us, as we saw earlier in the earlier messages in the series, that there are unique struggles at different times in our lives. And uh, we saw, especially with the seniors, it was talking about uh, older men, older women, do this, do this. Basically, in modern language, we older men were told, don't be grumpy, uh, don't be intemperate, don't be hard to get along with, be encouraging, be loving, be an example, the so women were even more down to brass tacks. Don't be drunk. Don't be gossiping. Don't be a busybody. Be an example and love and care for the emerging generation. Well, we get to the younger people, those that we're talking to more today, and they have a lot put on their shoulders as well. Now, remember, this is, this is writing to people in Roman society so what it meant to live a respectable life in Roman society is going to look very different than it does today. In Roman society, you know, we have structure in the family. Some of that is, is is not as common today. These families were very hierarchical. Ours are more egalitarian. It looks a little bit different. But you'll see what I mean as I go through it. Verse 4, this is what the older women, if they get their act together, then they can teach the younger women. And we continue that in verse 4. Then they can train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind and to be subject to their husbands, so that no one will malign the word of God. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled in everything. Set them an example. This is Paul telling the young pastor Titus to be an example for the young men Set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, soundness of speech that cannot be condemned so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. You notice the theme of that. Living Christ-like lives so that the world cannot malign the word of God cannot insult the cause of Christ because of his followers. This passage is all about our witness. And nobody, I believe, has a further reach than you in the prime of life. Your web of relationships is larger now than it will ever be. You may have heard a little bit earlier, June was talking about the potential size of the funeral luncheon on Friday. You would think it would be much larger, but the longer we live, the fewer of our friends are still around. Our web of relationships gets smaller and smaller and smaller. You folks in prime time, whether it be uh kids that uh kids at school annoying all the other parents, your coworkers at work and their families, your your kids on ball teams and all those parents, all the things you volunteer for, everything you're involved in, you have relationships that can be an avenue for witness for Christ. We build that bridge of love and care and friendship so that Jesus can walk across it into the lives of others. You are in such a key strategic point of life. So, what are these minefields? What are the minefields we face? Well, you know, sometimes when it comes to a sermon, you say, well, what do I get out of this? But this almost... It had too much. Now I know Ken is going to be worried that it's going to be too much and that the potluck is going to be cold and he's hungry already. But the reality is I had to whittle it down. I'm not talking about Christian parenting, though that is such a challenge today. That can be a whole series of messages. I'm talking about your hearts. The pitfall of midlife is focused on the heart the pitfall of wrong priorities is what gets us on the wrong path what gets us off track what gets us away from christ in our faith causes trouble at work at home in our relationships in all areas if our priorities are backwards or upside down now what should our priorities be And this just isn't for midlife, for prime time people. This is for all of us. The priorities Jesus revealed to us in Matthew chapter 22 begin at the heart. It's a heart issue. It's a familiar passage, the great commandment. I'll start a little earlier for context. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments did you get what jesus said he said if you get your priorities straight in these areas everything else follows everything else falls in place doesn't mean you don't know god's word and his desires for your life but when you are on track at the heart level you are heading in the right direction who do we love Jesus says you have to love God first. Anything you put before your love for God is what? By definition, it's an idol. And it could be a wonderful thing. It could even be our spouses, our families. We can make them idols if we put them ahead of God. Jesus says you need to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength. And you need to love others, loving God and loving others. Those priorities setting your attitude of love and care for God and others puts our life in the right direction. It sets us on the right path. It's going to be very different than the people around us or even who we were before we knew Jesus. We are not going to always go with the group, and that's the hardest thing. We talk about peer pressure for who? For young people. But the peer pressure to be like everyone else, I believe, increases throughout life. And you folks, young family, home builders, people in the prime of life, you experience enormous pressure to be like everyone else, to let the world's pattern take over your life. This is exactly what the Apostle Paul warned all of us about in Romans chapter 12, the familiar passage. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Knowing God's will for your life will not come. When you are following the world's ways and the world's patterns. I like the familiar tra- uh, the, uh, the translation of this. It's not really a translation. It's more a paraphrase. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Don't do it just because everyone else is doing it. We try to teach our kids that. I remember my mom asking us a question. If all your friends are jumping off the cliff, are you going to jump off the cliff? Well yeah, you know, like we gotta be like everyone else. They say, no, don't be that way. Boy, that goes for us double as adults. At work, at play, at home. We need to follow in God's ways and not be squeezed into the world's mold. Now, that's the pitfall priorities. That's the heart issue that is the foundational to these others that we look at briefly. But that's what it is. Get that right. Put God first. Carve out time for him. Spend time in his word. Time with him in prayer. Set aside a time. Make him a priority. And rather than taking away from other things, good things, they become better when we have our priorities straight in regard to God and loving others. Well, of course, one of the pitfalls, we live in the richest society in human history so we christians don't even know that we're facing it it's like asking a fish what's it like to be wet they don't know anything else that's how they live we live in a rich wealthy materialistic western society so that's a pitfall that we face the empty life of materialism that's what all of our friends are living in That's what the world wants us to do. We're in a consumer-oriented society. It's infected the church. We have health and wealth churches. We have prosperity churches. We have word of faith churches. All of them basically worshiping the things of this world, the stuff of this world, chasing it. And yet, friends, I find if we seek our meaning, our purpose, our fulfillment in the stuff of this world, we'll always... Be unsatisfied. We'll never find contentment. There will be an emptiness, a black space in our lives, like a a black hole sucking in everything that can't be satisfied. The wealthiest countries in the world, they've studied this time and again. The wealthiest countries in the world rank far down the list of happiness and contentment for its citizens. It doesn't make sense. We say, how can you be happy if you don't have a lot of things? Well, their priorities are different. And they find joy and contentment and more important things than stuff. Well, scripture is very clear in this. I don't have to, to beat around the bush. Ecclesiastes 5, maybe a verse you've never read, but it's a good one. Whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied. With his income. This too is meaningless. This was written most likely by Solomon. The richest man in the world. But he was wise and he knew that all of his wealth was vanity. It could not satisfy. And friends, you think we'd learn that lesson. But it seems we're chasing it and trying it still. Not just the secular world. But we do that as well. It's easy to go along that way. Easy to go with the crowd now often misquoted as the love of money is the root of all evil it comes from the passage in first timothy and it's a wonderful teaching it's a wonderful truth that we need to attend to in this case first timothy the apostle paul writing to timothy is encouraging him in his teaching to the people in his church and under his care And he looks at them and he sees who's happy, who's content, and who's struggling and chasing the things of the world. Paul reflecting on his own life in in this teaching begins in 1 Timothy 6, verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But we have, but if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap, into many foolish and harmful desires, and plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. You may say, well, what is this all about? Why is loving money or material things, or nice things, or pleasure, how is that antithetical with loving God? Well, again, I say you've put something ahead of your love for God. It can be anything. And it becomes an idol. It's the gravest of sins that separates us from God. We can't put money first. We can't make an idol of stuff. Jesus encourages us, again, to go back to the heart. When you look at your bank account, it's always under attack. There's always unexpected expenses. Christmas, oh my word, the dent that puts into your finances. The town has increased your taxes. Anyone live in town and notice that? Boy, if you don't pay it month by month, It is a great big bill. It puts a dent in your finances. They're always under attack. Jesus encourages you to be wealthy in the things that this world can't attack. The things that this world can't take away from us. And it's a beautiful message that Jesus has for us. I love the way he begins it in Luke chapter 12. He calls his followers his little flock his little group of sheep, and he's our shepherd. Jesus says in Luke twelve thirty two, "'Do not be afraid, little flock, "'for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. "'Sell your possessions and give to the poor. "'Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, "'a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted, "'where no thief comes near and no moth destroys.'" For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There's the heart. What do we value? What are our priorities? What are we saving for? You know, sometimes when I look at our lives, mine included, and materialism, I think sometimes we're misguided as to where the finish line is. You know, right now we're looking forward to, to years where our work situation will change, our income will change, the world calls them retirement, but, you know, we talked a, a few weeks ago about spiritual retirement, we got to avoid that, but we all want to have planning for the future, retirement planning. We want enough to be able to live in comfort when our income dries up and not be a burden to our kids, and just enough to squeak over the finish line and, oh, I'm out of money, <laughs> heart attack, gone, you know, we We want to finish just enough to get to the finish line. (laughs) The Scripture says, don't be fooled. That's not the finish line. That's not the finish line. You want to get to heaven and be a pauper? (laughs) Because Scripture says that your actions and your thoughts and your attitudes and your entire life is going to be measured by Christ, the judge. And he's going to test it. And chasing... The almighty dollar and the busyness of life is going to burn up like wood, hay, and stubble. All other things will soon be past, but only what's done for Christ will last. What will enter into eternity? What have you done for Jesus' sake? God who wants to reward you can reward you for. This life is not the finish line. Don't live only for it. Be wise. Take care of your family. All of those things are important. But this life is not the end of it all. Don't live as if it is. Well, here's one that we all understand. The tyranny of not enough time. Well, there's a normal mom in her daily routine. She's not frazzled at all. I've never seen a generation, and it has changed very quickly, where people are assailed from all sides with with uh, a tax on their time. Everybody has, wants a claim on your time. Everyone, everyone, children, family, parents, volunteer, work, everybody wants a piece of your time. It used to be years ago as a young pastor, the older pastors used to tell us, you can tell a lot about a person if you measure, uh, just have them, ha- back when we had bank books, you remember those things? You balanced your checking account and everything in them? They say, if you want to know how a person's life is, You look at how well used their Bible is and have them give them your bank book and look how they spend their money. Then you'll see how their life is. The reality is these days, sometimes the easiest thing in the world is to write somebody a check to get them off your back. The attacks on our time. We're so under attack. Everybody wants us being do something. And we have to make choices. Now, we've often said, and it's true, that in our priorities, how we spend our time, talent, and treasure, God needs to be first. It's hard to say any of us do that. But we say God, then family, and I include the family of God because oftentimes anything comes before the needs of your church family. But I believe it's God, your family, including your church family, and then your work life and other things. We need to balance our time. We need to be wise about that. We need to number our days aright and gain God's wisdom. Jesus, again, has incredible insight. In that Matthew chapter 9, he's sitting in the marketplace just watching. Just watching people and their lives. And it says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Sheep without a shepherd are always in danger, always under attack they have the wolves nipping at them from all sides Hmm. you know this past week i got to spend a couple relaxing hours with my feet up my head way down i was in a dentist chair (laughs) it wasn't that relaxing i did get to lay there and watch an interesting program on television while the doctor ground down one of my broken teeth to eventually put a crown on it and as she was sticking me with needles and injecting me with drugs and, and grinding away at my tooth, and at one point took a large chunk out of my tongue, as I was enjoying that, they had on the television screen right above me, because they have Netflix at the dentist in Three Hills, they've said, we'll put it on a nature show for you. That'll be calming because they want to keep your blood pressure down. So I'm there with my head swelling from you know having my feet way up in the air, and, and I'm watching a show, And it's about migration of wildebeests. Now there's something interesting. These largest herds in the world, they're running through Africa because they have to always be on the move because they'll constantly eat all the grass. Then they have to get to the next place because it's getting too dry, there's no grass, and they're always chasing food, chasing food. And as I watch those wildebeests, it's like I was watching, it's like I was watching us as we run and run, and it seems we never slow down. And you know, people are always after you, always want something. As Jesus said, you're like a scattered flock with no shepherd. People are harassed. Well, those poor wildebeests, then they ran through lion territory. And when I saw what was happening to those wildebeests, as they the lions were jumping on them and biting them and tearing them down and pulling them down and eating them alive, it wasn't so comforting, you know. <laughs> but, but I said, you know, and put in perspective, what I was suffering wasn't so bad. I think that's why they show it to you. But... Uh, Boy, that seemed like us. Those crazy wildebeests running through life. Sometimes we have to slow down. Sometimes we have to take stock and say, why am I this busy? Am I doing everything that I need to be doing? Is there something better I should be investing my time in? Or more importantly, someone. Not only God, your relationship with Him, but relationships in general. Your family investing time in them. Jesus told the story of the parable of the soils, casting the seed on the the good ground, the rocky ground, the hard pathway. And then the disciples, they nodded their heads sagely in the background, but they didn't have a clue what Jesus was talking about. And remember later they asked him, Lord, can you explain exactly what it was you were telling us? And Jesus, look what he says when he said this is the soil that fell, this is the seed that fell in the thorny soil. Jesus said, the seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, this is living their lives, they're choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. That word in the original language is so graphic. They are choked out by life's Worries, the busyness, the hectic life that we live, good and bad, pleasures and pain, all of that takes our eyes off the Lord. And though the seed isn't dead, this, I believe, speaks of believers who don't mature because they're caught up in the schedules and the hectic things of the world alone. Busyness, I believe, at its worst, is an enemy of Christian maturity? Well, obviously, the answer to that is to reassess our time, our priorities once again, to spend more time with Jesus himself. As Jesus said, it's an invitation that stands today. Matthew 11, the familiar passage, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Boy, that speaks to our society. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Learn from me, Jesus said. I look at Jesus' life in Scripture. There's nobody busier than him. But he always found time to go off and be in prayer and spend time with his Father. He wisely spent time with God before the busyness of the rest of his life. It was like the eye of a hurricane, a calm in the midst of life's storms. Jesus found time with his Father, and he wants us and invites us to spend time with him. We have another resource, moms and dads, in this busy life. You have us. Scripture says the family of God should be there for you. We should be God's holy carpool as we all join together and we help one another get through life. Sometimes we see that wonderfully, visibly. For instance, like a mom's morning out group. I've heard women say that when the women gather together and the older women take care of the kids and they're there to support one another, that those ministries got them through the tough years. We're better together. Second Corinthians puts it so well in chapter 1. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received. We are God's answer to life's problems. Together, God works through us the comfort, the resources, the strength, when we need it. I don't believe we turn to our church family often enough. Sometimes we have to assess, are we a church family that you can turn to, that need to be open-hearted and open-handed enough to help one another through life's difficult times? Well, before we go and celebrate Dave and Melody's family next door, how do we get out of these minefields? How do we survive the minefield? It's by following Jesus. That's one of the most common tropes of any war movie. Oh, I love those movies. And, and every movie, it seems, has a point where the soldiers find out, oh, one of them explodes, boom, we're in a minefield. What do we do? It's always the same. One person, step by step, trying to make their way out. And once he does, everybody else puts their feet where his feet were. They follow him step by step out of the minefield. Why do you think we have four Gospels on the life of Jesus, it's so that you can see his footprints clearly through the life he lived, fully God and fully human, and follow in Jesus' steps, in his steps. That's put so beautifully, and we close with it, in Hebrews chapter 12, one of my favorite passages, talks about those who have followed Jesus before us and the examples they can be for us. Hebrews 12, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, Set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. It's a world that wants you to be weary. We live in a world that wants to take your heart away. But keep your eyes on Jesus. Have your priorities correct. Put him first. Follow in his steps. And we will avoid the minefield of the prime of life. Let's pray together before the worship team closes our service. Father, speak to us, not from the words of a man, but from your word, the living word of God. Take it from the pages of Scripture, Lord, and by your Holy Spirit, write it upon our hearts. Lord, may Jesus' life be our roadmap. May Jesus be our highest priority. May we get our priorities straight, Lord, and put nothing before you. Not life, not work, not even family. May you come first. And then, Lord, give us your love to share with those around us, beginning at home with our family, with our church family, and our community. May we shine Jesus' love into the light of others. Lord, be with our family builders. Lord, they face pressures and anxieties that are incredible, We've never lived in an age, Father, where the demands of uh, just, Lord, life have caused both fathers and mothers to leave the home to work to the extent they do now. It's caused incredible stress. But, Lord, get us through it. Guide us and lead us. And, Lord, help us as a church family, love and support one another to get through these challenging years. Father, we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Will you please stand and sing with us?
0: Again, we want to welcome you to join us for the potluck next door. Uh, we'd love to have you there. And we're just going to say a blessing over the food now, just so when you get there, you can just jump in line and, and enjoy. So let's pray. Father, again, we just want to thank you for your presence with us. Thank you that you can be our vision and our, our hope and our trust, and you can be just steadfast. God, we need to thank you for the food that people have provided next door. And, God, we just pray for our time together, that it be a blessing, fellowship, and encouragement to one another. And we just want to commit our time and, and food to you. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: And in sending 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 to 24, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. One who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Amen.